everyone, and welcome back to Simply the Breast. This is our breast cancer educational podcast brought to you by the friendly breast surgical oncologists at the University of Toronto. I'm Colleen, your host and one of the current research fellows here at the University of Toronto. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, and Podbean. And today we're going to talk about breast MRI. And our goal here is to demystify breast MRI, talk practical tips and tricks for the general surgeon and surgery trainee. And I'm really delighted to introduce our guest today, Dr. Supriya Kulkarni. Uh, Dr. Kulkarni is an associate professor and the head of the breast division at the Department of Medical Imaging at the University of Toronto. She serves as board member and education director for the Canadian Society of Breast Imaging and is a staff radiologist here at JDMI. Um, and I, I had the pleasure of rotating through the radiology department when I was doing my clinical fellowship. And just to put a plug in here for people that don't know what breast images are spending their time doing, um, I was really impressed with how much face-to-face -face time and hands-on time breast radiologists spend with their patients. And it's a very special uh, specialty me, to me in that way. And it's not just you guys sitting in a dark room all day. So uh, just want to plug that out there that they're really spending a lot of time with our patients. Um, so we're going to talk and start with some breast MRI basics. We're going to talk about how to look at a breast MRI when you're on service or taking care of a patient with a breast MRI. And then we're going to talk about the indications, uh, both for screening and for patients who have a breast cancer. Um, so let's start with some basics. Can we talk a little bit about what makes breast MRI different from other MRIs we might see? Thank you, Colleen, for having me on this podcast. It's very exciting. I love talking to our surgeons and uh, surgical trainees and fellows, and it's, uh, it's one place where I think we can make most impact on patient care. So talking about breast MRI, uh, just so that everybody understands how MRI actually works and how we actually acquire the images, it's very important to mm -hmm. understand that. So many of you may have already may have had a chance to visit uh, an MRI suite or see an MRI biopsy or something uh, related to breast care, but basically it's a large magnet that's shaped like a donut. Mm -hmm. And there is a table that goes in and out of this magnet, and you may have seen images of that. So when we are performing a breast MRI, it's a little bit different because the patient uh, is lying prone. So right. the patient is facing down towards the table. And that's one of the reasons why some women might find it very difficult to undergo an MRI. Mm -hmm. It's really claustrophobic because you're looking down at the table. You can't see what's happening in the room. And it's a special table, right, that has a space for yes. the breasts to... Yes. Yeah. So, so when we perform MRIs, we have... Uh, special equipment called coils mm -hmm. uh, they're called coils because they're actually radio frequency coils mm -hmm. uh, not because they're necessarily shaped like <laughs> a coil uh, so these coils uh, we have different coils for different body parts depending upon the size of the organ you're trying to image uh -huh. uh, the location and the anatomical structure so when we perform a breast MRI, we have a very special breast coil mm -hmm. uh, without which an MRI cannot be performed. And basically this coil mounts on this table uh, where the patient is lying prone and the breast is hanging through the coil. So it has two holes uh -huh. and the breast hangs down through the coil uh, when you perform a breast MRI. Why not do breast MRI supine? Why prone? Um, because of the coil. Okay. Yeah. Right. We need the, the structure that we are trying to, in the past, 
when there were no uh, breast coils people uh-huh. were doing breast mri with body coils uh-huh. uh but again the breast is going to lock onto the other side uh, yeah. on both sides and it's not going to be in the center anything for anything to be uh assessed by the magnet you have to be in the center okay. of the magnetic field uh-huh. which is the donut that we spoke about yep. the table is in the center of the magnetic field yeah so if you have a, a bilateral structure like breast they're going to lock to the side mm-hmm. they're not going to be in the center of your field and plus you will not you're not going to be able to re- how are you going to biopsy them yeah right so yep. uh, that doesn't work for breast there mm-hmm. are some studies people are trying mm-hmm. um to see if supine mri is possible there's there's a lot of research going on in mm-hmm. mr yeah uh, but at the current time prone position for biopsy is prone position for all routine mrs okay that's great and what these uh, basically how does mri work so what we are trying to do here is we are using magnetic force to uh kind of change how the protons are moving mm-hmm. so these coils have uh, radio frequency channels which basically uh, send radio frequencies to the breast and the the molecular structure in the breast uh, gets realigned because uh-huh. of these the the radio frequency uh, uh uh signals that we send out and as we remove the radio frequency uh, stimulation these protons which have been flipped mm-hmm. from their you know zero position uh basically start to go back into equilibrium so they try to go back into uh the normal or the equilibrium position yeah and while they are moving back to their original position they emit a signal mm-hmm. which was basically given to them by the radio frequency coils uh-huh. and this signal is captured by the coil mm-hmm. so these are the receiving coils which are also located in the in within the breast coil that we spoke about yeah and these signals are then used and processed to create an image yep and the process of these uh, insonated protons moving back or processing into their original position is called tissue relaxation. Mm, mm-hmm. So how much time does a tissue require to relax back into its you know uh, normal condition? Mm-hmm. That is called uh, tissue relaxation. Okay. And this is a very important um parameter which the the MRI captures. Mm-hmm. So each tissue has a different relaxation time. and therefore we are able to differentiate one tissue from the other mm-hmm. based on the numeric value assigned to that relaxation time okay right wow. so it's it's very very unique in the way how mri works yes. people don't understand how much physics is involved yeah and i'm really like super simplifying when i'm talking about well, relaxation well thank you times. thank you for that <laughs> so this this relaxation is what makes something t1 or t2 weighted okay you know you may come across that we constantly talk about t1 weighted images t2 weighted images yeah. so what does that mean so these t1 t2s are actually different relaxation times okay and so different structures have different t1 and t2 relaxation times mm-hmm. and that's what makes water bright mm-hmm. on t2 mhm mhm and that's what makes uh, adipose tissue or fat uh, stand out on a t1 weighted image So not to get into too much complexity but therefore we use different uh sequences mm-hmm. 
based on different relaxation times based on different radio frequencies that we use mm-hmm. uh, to decide which structure is best visible on which sequence okay so that explains why we have these multiple sequences mm-hmm. some sequences are are uh, adjusted to show water mm-hmm. some sequences are adjusted to show silicon mm-hmm. some sequences are adjusted to show contrast so that's why we get these multiple sequences and it can get quite confusing mm-hmm. to figure out what is going on here uh-huh. right yeah so so that's how basically we we perform an mri it's very complex mm-hmm. it's very sensitive to uh, movement because the breast is hanging very low mm-hmm. uh, and if the patient breathes there can be uh, you know artifacts which makes interpretation difficult uh-huh. it's also very difficult for the patient to stay still for 45 minutes that's how much a staging mri will will last for so yep. that's that's a long time to be lying in that really uncomfortable uh, position yeah. in the magnet so so that's how basically uh, we perform an mri uh, and we spoke about like i, I mentioned contrast right mm-hmm. some sequences see contrast so what is this contrast right so we know that we use gadolinium uh, as a contrast agent for all uh, mris not mm-hmm. just breast we use it for all body parts mm-hmm. so what is gadolinium it's a metal mm-hmm. it sits on our periodic table mm-hmm. there's an atomic number of 64 wow okay and uh, it's it's basically a metal uh-huh. so we can't really put gadolinium directly into the body so it's chelated so all the poisonous effects of the metal uh-huh. are removed okay and so what gadolinium does is it goes into the body tissues and changes the relaxation time okay so once you understand the concept of yeah. relaxation time you can imagine how the contrast works so when the contrast uh-huh. goes in the breast uh, into the cancer yeah. or into a, a benign mass it exhibits different behavior mhm based on the relaxation time mm-hmm. and that's how mri allows us to differentiate between a benign versus a malignant lesion mm-hmm. uh fat versus fibrosis and so on so it has really great contrast and ability to differentiate different parenchymal textures uh-huh so that's how we use contrast in in breast mri that's great that's i've learned a ton already <laughs> thank you it's very fascinating and I wanted to just briefly touch on the menstrual cycle and MRI cuz I think people hear about that when they're on service. Um can you tell me a little bit about how menstruation and the breast tissue is affecting MRI? Yeah, so so as we all know, um the hormonal changes in the body affect breast quite a bit, especially obviously in premenopausal women and as the there is variation between uh, estrogen and progesterone through the menstrual cycle, you will see changes in the breast parenchyma the tissue the fibroglandular tissue and this has been seen on mri that uh, women uh, who are in their mid cycle like once the progesterone starts coming into the blood stream mm-hmm. uh, the tissues in the breast tend to pick up more contrast uh-huh. and we see this in women who are lactating mm-hmm. their breasts mm-hmm. look like they belong to someone else uh-huh. if you compare their pre lactation to lactation mr yeah. so progesterone has a very um let's to put it simply gadolinium attracting quality okay. so the more progesterone the more breast tissue will enhance uh-huh. and the more the breast tissue enhances enhancement means it look white mm-hmm. uh, it will hide 
masses which will enhance such uh -huh. as cancers or small cancers so when you have a lot of background parenchymal enhancement it obviously reduces the sensitivity of mri mm -hmm. for detecting cancers mm -hmm. so we don't want to be scanning women uh, when they are in their you know kind of um, phase where there's more progesterone mm -hmm. we want to catch them uh, right after their menstruation when the estrogens are also low and the progesterones are practically not there at all mm -hmm. uh, so it has been seen that if you perform an mri between the 7th to the 13th day after the menstrual cycle mm -hmm. um, some people even narrow it between literally 7 to 10th day okay like a really narrow narrow um, window of performing mri mm -hmm. the breast is most quiet as we call it okay and so the likelihood of you detecting smaller lesions masses is much higher okay now there are now multiple studies published mm -hmm. that really the contrast the the menstrual cycle we don't need to care so much about it okay uh, after the pandemic and during the pandemic when there were like huge wait times mm -hmm. we moved we moved on at least at our facility and mm -hmm. also through our through our screening program mm -hmm. um, not to time the screening mris based on menstrual cycle okay and there may be a few women who may have to come back for additional workup mm -hmm. but the vast majority of the women would be fine yeah so we are moving away from um, stopping people from having especially screening mris because their menstrual cycles are irregular yep. or they're yep. not aligned or sending people back on the day of their you know appointment yeah um so we are really moving away from it where i would really go hard on is is on a baseline mri uh -huh. like the woman has no prior comparison mm -hmm. in those cases we may still stick to the menstrual cycle okay but once a woman has two three four mris to compare it becomes less of a issue yeah uh, because you kind of know how the breast looks and mm -hmm. the pattern of enhancement um so yeah it's important to time it if you're really looking for something very uh, you know uh in for the first time maybe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but uh, most of us are like moved away from trying to well, sign like and and staging mris we never time okay okay staging we never time there may be few cases where we see a lot of background enhancement and we recall the patient to match the menstrual cycle mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. sometimes when women are having mr biopsies and we think you know what the finding may be related to spurious enhancement mm -hmm. then you would recall the patient back for a biopsy on a time to the cycle okay to reduce false positives so basically. it's a tool you can use but we're yes. moving away from moving routinely away. Yeah. That, that i'm sure that makes scheduling a lot easier yes. and yes. like you said it works on some of the access issues yes. so that's yeah. really good to know uh, so let's, if you feel like we've kind of covered the basics there, maybe move on to what to do when you're looking at a breast MRI, kind of a, what's the deal with all these images that pop up and, yeah. a, you know, practical kind of user's guide for us non-experts, <laughs> budding experts, uh, to how to employ one when we're taking care of the patient. Yeah. So, you know, as radiologists, we have to look at m many more sequences yeah. because we are reporting and staging and giving finer details which are all always there in the report mm -hmm. one of the important thing is for any standardized practice uh, the radiologist will always dictate within the report which slice number we are looking at okay so if you describe an abnormality there should be a slice number associated with because we can't really expect our colleagues 
who are talking to patients to go through the whole MRI. Mm-hmm. So we would say, okay, this is a post contrast axial sequence number X, mm-hmm. slice number five. Uh-huh. So then you can like zero in and say, okay, this is what they're talking about. So that makes it easy. Yes. Uh, when, especially when you're in the OR mm-hmm. or when you're talking to patients, mm-hmm. right? So that is like the first, like the easy thing that we can do to help you. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, as you do more and more breast surgery or breast surgeons, uh, it's nice to know more than just that. Mm-hmm. So which are the sequences that you would look at? So the first one, like I mentioned, is a T1 weighted sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the post contrast sequences are T1 weighted sequences because okay. that's the relaxation time that gadolinium affects. Okay. Okay. So yep. now that once you understand that. Yeah. So all gadolinium sequences are T1 weighted. Okay. And many people will use different types of magnets, like different vendors. Mm-hmm. It could be Siemens, it could be GE, it could be anything else. So each of the vendors have their own names for the sequences. Right. So when you look up an MR, you might get confused. Okay, what's a stir? What's a, you know, like you'll see like just multiple yeah. sequences and it gets very confusing. But the bottom line is... When you're looking for contrast, look at the T1 weighted contrast image. It's always labeled. Okay. And we like to subtract images. So that's another thing very specific that we do for breast MRI is, so we get one sequence without contrast. Right. And then the subsequent four or five sequences with contrast. And we subtract the sequence without the contrast. Uh Uh-huh from the sequence with the contrast right so when you subtract the only thing that should remain behind is the contrast Mm -hmm. right right so that's called a subtraction sequence and it will be labeled okay it will be labeled sub s-u-b okay so that means that's a subtraction sequence so go for the subtraction sequence Uh and then you will see the contrast okay when you see the contrast, you know where your cancer is. Mm-hmm. You know what the distribution is. Of course, you're going to use the report to guide you mm-hmm. because we can see a lot of contrast, which is not cancer. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is one thing that I always explain to women mm-hmm. who come back for reassessment after an MRI, that MRI is very sensitive. It picks up a lot of contrast, a lot of things, but not everything we see on MRI is cancer. Mm-hmm. So if you look at your subtraction sequence, immediately it will take you uh, to where the where your cancer is, additional masses if they've been described. Yep. You can see the relationship with the nipple, mm-hmm. uh, the distance from the nipple mm-hmm. to allow you to like kind of plan your surgical approach. Uh, always make sure that you look at it in two planes. So the MRI is performed in the axial plane. Yep. It's like a CC projection basically yep. on the mammogram. And we always reconstruct an orthogonal plane. So orthogonal means at 90 degrees. So for any mass to be real, we have to see it on two planes. Okay. So every MRI will have two planes. Most of them will be axial because mm-hmm. we do multiple post-contrast runs. Mm-hmm. But look at the bottom. There should be something which says SAG. Yeah. Which is a sagittal sequence, mm-hmm. which is a 90 degree sequence to your axial. Mm-hmm. So once you see the sagittal image, I find that for the surgeons, the sagittal sequence is very important because mm-hmm. it allows you spatial orientation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because definitely. you can see the nipple, you can see the upper and the lower breast. Yep. So you know where the cancer is located and what kind of lumpectomy you want to plan. Mm-hmm. And you get some relationship with the axilla. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and it also allows you some medial and lateral um, orientation so sagittal sequences are very important for surgical planning mm-hmm. because because the breast is prone like the patient is lying prone yeah the position of the nipple changes yes it there is no ideal breast <laughs> where the nipple yeah. is like straight down yeah. and is divided equally into yeah. upper and lower medial and lateral uh-huh. the breast depending upon how it's being positioned yeah. the nipple can look lateral medial it can look down or up yep so when you look at the sagittal sequence you get to see the nipple properly mm-hmm. and then you can decide whether it's really upper or lower mm-hmm. right so that can be very tricky in pendulous breasts yes and mm-hmm. uh, so that so you'll see the clock positions can change one radiologist is saying 10 o'clock the other one may be saying like you know 9 o'clock or even 8 o'clock uh-huh. like 8 and 10 are like two different quadrants yeah yeah so you have to be careful and that's why I always try to look at it in two views mm-hmm. so that you get a spatial orientation yeah and this is the one thing that i always talk about with the radiology fellows like the breast imaging fellows is mm-hmm. that what we see in the dark room doesn't relate to what they see in the OR yeah. because the position is completely different. Yes, yes. It's like a ice cream cone up and ice cream cone down. Yeah. So when the patient is on your table, patient is supine, mm-hmm. anesthetized, hand is out on the side. Yep. And the breast is like lopped to the, you know, lateral side. Yep. Which is completely not how we see the breast. Yeah. We see like a big retro uh mammary fat region yeah. and the breast is pulled anteriorly so so it it becomes very hard for surgeons sometimes to understand what we are saying yeah. on imaging so look at two views mm-hmm. and try to spatially orient it uh where how it will look when the patient is lying down yeah uh drawing some diagrams helps mm-hmm. i i do that myself as well mm-hmm. uh to really figure out where this area is located and that helps you when the patient is supine yeah Right. I think that three dimensionality in breast surgery is one of the hardest yes. things we and you know it's a multidisciplinary approach so we're all trying to coordinate our information inputs together and from all these different angles and perspectives yeah. and I you know I see the residents struggle with it I struggle with it the three dimensional reconstruction in our brains that have um, this mobile tissue mass with a lesion in it is very challenging so yep. MRI is a great tool to help us with that I find it's just like I don't know. I think surgeons are used to looking at CT scans and kind of reconstructed images that way. So mammo's pretty challenging when yeah. we come on service. So I think MRI is a a powerful tool to help us. Yeah. And really there's another sequence which it. is called MIP. It's okay. labeled MIP. Uh-huh. So that is a 3D reconstruction of all the data points. Uh-huh. So it's like a it's almost like a surface rendering like a volume. Uh-huh. So if you if you look at the MIP it will give you an idea where the cancer is sitting in the breast and how much volume is there mhm so that's also a really nice snapshot uh, to look at especially if you're showing stuff to patients yeah for them to understand and whether breast conservation is real really possible yeah. or not mips can give you like a quick snapshot of what's going on in the breast in terms of volume okay right so because it shows all the cancer foci at the same time mhm so mm-hmm. it gives you like a volumetric assessment it's not you can measure it yeah but it gives you so these are the three key sequences okay yeah t2 weighted sequences are are useful uh-huh. but they're more useful for reporting okay okay 
like if i say this mass is t2 bright i don't think the surgeon is going to go and check uh-huh. whether this is really t2 bright or I'm not i'm probably not going right to. <laughs> so so you can you can look at it because uh-huh. it gives you like the water content in the breast uh-huh. it can give you some landmarks okay or dilated ducts if uh-huh. you want to see so those kind of things you can look on the t2 weighted sequence but if you're in the or yep. and you're looking at the mr these are the three sequences i would go subtraction sequence mm-hmm. sagittal sequence mm-hmm. and a mip image okay. that's it and that's if you great. don't understand after looking at those call this call the radiologist yeah, we'll the <laughs> <laughs> that's actually something important is we're always talking to the radiologists yeah. you know we're talking to them in the clinic we run over during you know mdc we talk to you during tumor boards we talk to you in the or so we're we're always in communication yeah. and it's a team team effort um if looking at lymph nodes, is there a particular sequence that you find? Yes, those helpful? are the T one weighted sequences. Okay. So we, when you look at the MRI, there will always be the first sequence, uh, second after the localizer, the sequence which is a pure T one weighted sequence, pure mm-hmm. T one. So like I mentioned, T one is very good for assessing tissue parenchyma. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And this sequence has uh, inherently. It visualizes fat, uh-huh. which serves as a great contrast to look at soft tissue. Okay. Because the lymph nodes are surrounded by fat, mm-hmm. so it's very easy to look at lymph nodes on a T1 weighted sequence. Okay. With no contrast, no subtractions, Just no pure processing. T1. Pure T1 weighted sequence. Okay. And it will show you the lymph nodes. It will show you the pectoralis major and minor. Uh-huh. And you can actually see the levels, all the levels. Okay. So you'll see the fat going behind the pec minor yeah. and into the level three space. And when you see all of that fat, then it becomes very easy to map the lymph nodes. So okay. when we report levels, we mm-hmm. always look at T1 weighted. Okay. And you don't even need contrast. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you subtract, you lose all these landmarks. Uh-huh. Yes. Because they're all landmarks, right? They're so when there you're subtracting before and after. Before so and after. Yeah. So in a post contrast image, you will not see the muscles. You will not see any landmarks. Uh-huh. So T1 weighted sequence is like the sequence for lymph nodes. Okay. Fat necrosis, anything related to fat. Okay. Uh, if you want to see the fatty hilum in the lymph node, mm-hmm. T1 weighted sequences. Okay. So for a staging MRI, if you're again in the OR, you want to look up what's happening in the axilla, where are all the lymph nodes, yeah. pull up the T1 weighted sequence. So it'll show you the level one, low axillary lymph nodes, higher level one, mm-hmm. level two, level three, rotter's lymph node. Everything is seen on the T1 weighted sequences. T1, and great. then of course you can see them on the contrast as well. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I would recommend always is whenever you're looking at a structure, which is at on both sides, yep. you compare. Mm-hmm. Anything related to the nipple, you compare. Anything related to the lymph nodes, you always compare to the other axilla. So mm-hmm. when we even look at women, uh, when you're doing breast ultrasound, axillary ultrasound, you see one abnormal lymph node on one side, I will always look at the contralateral breast, uh-huh. contralateral axilla. Yeah. Because most likely, the other lymph node also looks the same. Uh-huh. And then you can let them go. Yep. So even when you're doing MRI, sometimes a lymph node looks prominent. Mm-hmm. You see radiologists report prominent lymph nodes i mean in real life that really doesn't mean anything yeah. to the surgeon <laughs> what is prominent like yeah. one centimeter two centimeter uh-huh. are you talking about size are you talking about cortex uh-huh. right so always compare on the other side okay right and try to get measurements when possible that's great so so far in our discussion with dr kulkarni we've covered technical aspects of breast mri and how to look at one in a practical way I'm going to leave it there for this episode for now, but tune in for the next episode. 
I continue to talk to Dr. Kulkarni and we get into the indications for MRI as well as some insights on their use in clinical practice. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in. As you know, because you're listening to us, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, and Podbean. You can also find us on Instagram at simply underscore the underscore breast underscore TO. And you can find us on Twitter, even though I don't really like Twitter, at STB underscore TO. Thanks again so much for listening and talk to you next time.